Um, as we get older, sometimes we, don't, we, we begin to feel as if we're not important, and we really don't have anything to contribute as the new generations come up and begin to take over and bring their life and their energy. But every part of this body is so important. Uh, one of the mistakes that we've made as a, a culture is we've separated the generations, and as they get older, kind of dismiss them, they're old-fashioned. We forget, you know, just to become an older person means you've learned something because you're still here. <laughs> and you've learned something just by going through life. And we need, we need both of those, gener- all of those generations working together, sharing together, and loving together. So praise the Lord. So I think that's it. Let's pray. Let's get into God's message today and the time that we have. Father, we thank you for all that's going on here, for this is the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. We thank you that you've called us together as a community of believers to minister not just to us today, but through this body, to minister to the, com- to the community that is around us, to have an impact. We're not here just for a bless me club, but we're here Then you've equipped us with gifts and you've equipped us with the word, you've equipped us with faith, you've equipped us with a calling to go out into this world and make disciples. And so, Father, as you're beginning to move by your spirit, to move us in the direction to fulfill the call that's been upon this church from the very beginning. We look to you for the power of your Spirit. And today, I just surrender to you as best I know how and trust you to work through what you've put in my heart, what you've taught me to yield my heart, my tongue, my mind, that you may speak through me, but also that you would open the eyes of our heart and understanding, that we would receive what you have to say to each one of us. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, we began a, a very short series on, on the gifts of the Spirit. These are based on three chapters in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul wrote to this church that was um, where all kinds of supernatural things were happening, but there was chaos in the church. They were very immature. They had come out of a very pagan society. It was a, it was a very, very corrupt city. It was a Roman capital it was extremely corrupt. It was, it was a trade center. So all kinds of things that, that, that uh, vices that, that, that minister to, minister is not a good word, the service, the people that come through, the sailors and things like that were just rampant. And these were believers that came out of that kind of culture. And now they're saved and, this, and God's spirit began to move powerfully among them. And Paul hears of these things and he writes this letter in part. There are other reasons for the letter. Part to direct them, but also to encourage them. God is, a, God is a father who redeems, and when he corrects us, it's always to redeem us. It's always to correct us, not because he's angry at us. He's trying to draw out of us what he knows the potential is that's in there and to, and to help, learn, help us to learn to not be distracted from the things that erode what God's put in us to do. As I was praying about this this morning, it's like I'm just I'm, I'm uncomfortable about the message today, only because it's very teachy. I'm uncomfortable because I don't know I don't know where this is going to take us. I just believe with all my heart this is what God wants me to teach on today. And then as I was praying this morning, I'm saying, "All right, God, I, I need some tie-in to know that this is something that ties into what you what you want to do here." And the Lord brought me back to the very first thing I began, the series I talked about several months ago, which I did a, a message called, Where's the Beef? 
Remember that message about the three ladies that are at Wendy's? No, no, one of Wendy's competitors. I got a pretty good idea which one it was. And they've ordered a hamburger. There's this big bun. And when they pick the, open the bun up, the bun looks very attractive. When you open it, there's just this little meat patty inside. And the, 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 the message was, where's the beef? Come to Wendy's and you'll get a full-size hamburger. And the church looks like this so often. We'll come together, we have beautiful music, we worship together, we may come together and greet one another and love each other and all that, but, but the, the potential that God has in this room right now is the potential to meet every need that's in this room. I want to say that again. The potential that God has built into you, us collectively, has enough of the power of God in it to meet every need that's in this room right now. Amen. And yet we come on Sundays, we get blessed, and then we leave and so many needs are not met. And I'm not talking primarily about financial and material needs. We have people that may be dealing with depression, people dealing with addictions, various kinds of addictions. All of them amount to Satan's grasp and hold on people's life to squeeze the life out of them. And God cares about every person, everyone. Christ died for everyone. And He came to set the captives free. He was anointed for the purpose of healing the brokenhearted, of delivering those that were in bondage. And the question I've had to ask myself is, where are those deliverances? Where are these miracles? Where is the beef? And then God led me, as we came to the end of that, to begin to look at these gifts the gifts of the Spirit. They're supernatural gifts that God... A gift is something that's been given by a giver to be enjoyed and experienced and to be, to be used by the recipient of that gift. And these gifts, I used the example last week uh, of a Christmas gift. Those of you that are parents or have ever been a child, that should cover everybody, uh, has probably come through Christmas to some degree or other where you have under the tree or somewhere on Christmas Day or the night before or whenever gifts that were given. And invariably they're wrapped with something, paper. And the wrapping paper is to make the gift attractive, to build up the, 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 build up the anticipation, especially when you've got little kids, you know. I remember, I better not tell that story on him. <laughs> oh, I might. Remember getting up, up till like two in the morning, getting everything ready. This is when we had Pastor Chris, who's our oldest, and our daughter Emily. And I'm just getting into bed at two o'clock in the morning. Just oh, finally, and I hear a noise, and I look over. There they are, standing there, <laughs> ready to go downstairs. Why? They were anticipating what was for them under the tree, and so much that they could hardly sleep. And they come downstairs and they see these presents there. And, and, and they don't stand on religious formula. They tore into them. Why? What they were after, what was inside the package. These are gifts that are given to the church. And the form of them, whether it's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, the form of them is what is designed to attract attention. But so often what the church does, and that's what was happening in this church, we get so fascinated by the wrapping paper. We get so fascinated by the gift itself, the form of it, that we miss what's the real gift. And these gifts, Paul says, are manifestations 
of the Spirit of God. A manifestation is a revealing of some part of it. And these are revealings of the Spirit of God, His presence in a service. But I want to share with you this morning, they're primarily not just for church services. But they're manifestations where God is able to demonstrate through the Spirit of God moving through you something supernatural about a situation. And that's where the real value is. Because it demonstrates that God really is here. He's real. And that He really does care about that person or situation. And the church gets so caught up in word of wisdom, word of knowledge, what is it, all this stuff. We're looking at the wrapping paper. And we're missing the message. And this is what was happening in this church, which is why Paul wrote to them the 13th chapter, which we spent all last week on, which is if you don't do this motivated by the love of God for these people, then you've totally missed it. If all you're doing is looking at the wrapping paper, then you've missed the essence of the gift that's being given. And that's sandwiched right in between the chapter that introduces the gifts and the chapter 14, which deals with the application of some of these gifts. So we've, we've laid that foundation, and I want to begin to look very quickly. We're going to go through these gifts, and I want to, I just, you know, there's, there's very little information in the Bible about these gifts and how they operate. And, and I found, I mentioned this last week, sometimes God says the most powerful things by what He doesn't say. The old expression is the Spirit of God gives you a word and we make a sentence out of it. We try to add some meaning and figure out where it's going to go. Just receive what God says. He knows, Father knows best. And so we begin to, we, we, there's not much that, that, that tells you about these gifts. Paul just says what they're for and what they are. And, and I think there's a purpose for that. I think one of the purposes is that if we have too much information, we'll get so focused on the gift instead of just allowing the Spirit of God to... These, see, they didn't have... These gifts started moving through them, and they didn't have 1 Corinthians 12 to begin with. They just happened. And they happened because they were so full of the Spirit, they couldn't contain it. The Spirit of God began to just flow out of them, and I believe they didn't even understand really what was happening. And so Paul had to bring some instruction to them. But it's so important because he begins with chapter 12, verse 1, and this is our, our title for today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So the title of today's message is Don't Be Ignorant. I don't want you ignorant. I want you to understand about these gifts. Bless you. Now go to 1 Corinthians 14, 1. But pursue love, but desire these spiritual gifts. So we're to desire these gifts. We're to desire them and to, and to want them. And I think in some churches, and that's sort of been our history here, we've kind of resisted them because we don't want things to get out of control. We don't want to become uncomfortable. But it's time to be willing to get a little uncomfortable. It's time to be willing to get out of our comfort zone because we need to have the power of God working in our lives. And we, He can't do that to the extent we keep Him in boxes. Now, I want to tell you what that might mean sometime. That might mean we go over time a little bit. And some of us are not willing to do that because we've got things we have to do that are more important than what God wants to do in our lives. And the Lord told me, I'll just sort it out. What people want is what they're going to get. You want a little of Him, that's what you'll get. If you want more of Him, that's what you can have. But these gifts, the, 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 the examples we're going to go through, if you notice them, 
the ones from the Bible are none of them happen in a church service. These gifts are also intended to happen in your daily life. Where you're out in a supermarket and the Spirit of God gives you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge about somebody. And you don't understand what it is, but you just go over and you just kind of step out. And God uses that. These gifts operate, are intended to operate, not just in here, but especially out there. So we're going to begin to talk about, just go through them, we can't spend a lot of time on them. I just want to go through them quickly. So, we're going to look first of all at the, at the word, of, word of wisdom. I mentioned what this was to be. There are nine gifts, and we, Paul doesn't, but we kind of break them down into three categories. There's uh, gifts that are revelatory, they reveal things. Gifts that are power gifts, they demonstrate by di- physical power. And then there's the gifts that are, that, are all, that are utterances, they're speaking gifts, they communicate something by words. So the first we're going to look at is a word of wisdom. It's a fragment of insight into a specific situation. These are almost always about specific situations, and usually this is in the future, in, towards the future. So I'm going to give you two examples of these. Acts 27. Acts 27 is a story where Paul is, uh, has... Christ, when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus, told him the things he was going to have to go through. And he also told him that ultimately he was going to appear before kings, before Caesar. So Paul, and we'll, we'll see a little bit a little later on about how he got to this place, but Paul now is on a, on a ship because he's, he's, he's appealed his case to Caesar, which as a Roman citizen he had a right to do. And so he is being transported under, under the Roman guard of a Roman centurion on his way to Rome. And this ship is getting into trouble. It's run into something which we would call a northeaster. So let's, let's go down through this a little bit, and I'll, I'll read through this, starting in verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent... And sailing was now dangerous because the fast that they were going through was already over. Paul advised them. So they're in this storm, bad storm, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Well, that's not good news that God's telling you that's what's going to happen. So this is a word. Somehow Paul said, I perceive it. He didn't have this because he was an, a, a, a meteorologist. He didn't have this because he was an experienced sailor. He had this by the Spirit of God, and he was with ungodly men, and he was warning them that this is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. Now go down to verse 21. Now what's happened is it's, they continue in this storm. And it says that after, after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, you should have listened to me and not have sailed. Oh yeah, that, I, I missed that example. When they went to sail, Paul told them, I came, a word came to him, don't sail, this is not going to turn out well. And they overrode him. What was he? He's just a prisoner. Isn't it interesting? Paul's the prisoner and yet God's using him to, to, to minister to and to give safety to this crew. 
So after a long abstinence of food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So now that's a little more encouraging word. Keep going. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. So this word is being delivered to him, in this case, by an angel. Now, I've, I've found in my life that, that when these dramatic things happen, when God speaks to me some dramatic way, some people say, wow, I wish God would speak. I don't want God to speak to me that way because that means there's some really serious thing about to happen where God knew he, I needed to not miss this. And so an angel's appearing to Paul and giving him this word of wisdom. Do not be afraid, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Keep going. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe that God, that God, I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stem from the stern and prayed for day, prayed for day to come. Okay, we'll stop there. Now, what, what's happening now is this, it's moving, we're looking at the package now, it's moving from a word of wisdom, which is what's going to happen, to a word of knowledge. So what's happening now is they're in this terrible storm, uh, um, they're, they're, they're about to run aground, and so the, 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 the captain has decided the sailors are going to throw the anchors over the, side, over the, the stern of the ship to stabilize it, and what's going to happen, you're going to see, is the sailors start leaving the ship and leaving, because you've got Paul, you've got the centurion, and you've got other prisoners on board. So the sailors, like rats, are going to leave the ship and save themselves. So let's go on. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Keep going. And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out the anchors from the prow, from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these, this is a word of knowledge, I know, unless these men stay in this ship, that you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes from the skiff and let it fall. So here's in the middle of a situation, not in a church service, in the middle of an emergency, God through the supernatural gifts is warning what's going to happen, first of all, and they didn't listen. And now in the middle of their disobedience, God still speaks to Paul to give them encouragement. Look, we're going to lose everything else, but if you listen to me, our lives will be saved. And now they're at that point where the ship's about... They've already thrown everything overboard. Now they're at a point where the ship's about to run into the rocks. They've thrown the anchors over to stabilize it, and now the sailors are about to leave the ship. And what Paul knows by the Spirit, if they do that, they're going to die. So Paul sees by the Spirit a situation that in the natural made no sense to them. Now what is this? This is a manifestation of that God is here 
in the middle of this disastrous situation. God is here and God wants to bring comfort and direction to them to rescue them and to save them. Not by some internet search, what do we do in this crisis, but by a supernatural move of God in the middle of a crisis. Again, this is not in a church service where we're getting blessed. This is in a crisis situation. That means when, when you get into a crisis situation, the Spirit of God in you has an answer for you. If you're willing to turn to Him and listen to Him. And notice, I don't remember which verse it was in, it talks about how Paul had obeyed the Lord. See, Paul was totally consecrated to God's purpose for his life. And that made it easier for him to hear. The more our motives are mixed between, well, my will and God's will, you know, I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to be fully surrendered. I want to get blessed by God, but I still want to do my own thing. It's going to be a lot harder for you to hear because there's too much of a mixture of you and of the world inside of you. When COVID hit, we had just come back from vacation and I just this thing hit. We had one church service and the next service were shut down. And we had a couple of crises we had to deal with. And I'm in here with the staff, and I'm saying, I don't know when this shuts down, <laughs> what's going to happen? Where's, where's the church gone? Because the church isn't these building, this building. What's going to happen to the finances? What about the missionaries, the 38 missionaries we support? What about our staff? What's going to happen? All these questions come flying at you. And I've learned through crisis to get quiet and listen in here. Because the God that lives in us will have an answer for you. And the Lord just spoke to me. He said, I'm going to use this to sift where people are. Those people who really have a heart to follow me and serve me will work through this. Those that are looking for an excuse to not go to church have it now. And the Lord says, and I will be with you as I've been with you from the beginning. Okay, word of knowledge. That's a fragment, this is what this was an example of, of present information not known by natural reason. Again, these are all supernatural. So we just saw a, a, an example of that. Actually, let's, let's keep going in that. Let's go. And the day was about to dawn, and Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you've waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he broke bread, took bread, and gave thanks to God in the presence of the law. And when they had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all, look at this, they were all encouraged and took food. This encouraged them, it strengthened them. It's a supernatural gift. Let's go to John chapter 4. Jesus operated in virtually all of these gifts. Many of the things that we attribute to Him because He's the Son of God were actually the gifts of the Spirit operating in Him. Remember, He set aside, he set aside His natural attributes as, as the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2 says He emptied Himself of all His glory. He emptied Himself of all of His divine powers and all of His divine abilities and became a human being. And then at the appropriate time, He was a human being. He was still God. He was still holy. But He had given up all those powers and all the insights and all the understupor... Because the Bible says He grew in wisdom 
And to grow in it, you've got to start someplace you didn't have and increase in it. God does not increase in wisdom and understanding. He knows everything. But at the appointed time, Jesus came down to the Jordan River, and when he was baptized out of obedience, he was filled with the Spirit of God, and these things that operated him, the miracles and the words that he knew, all were the operation of the Spirit of God. The gifts of the Spirit were operating in him. So here's an example of that. Jesus is now, this is the, by the city of Sychar. This is in Samaria where the Jews and the, and, the, and, the, and the Samaritans didn't speak to each other. They hated each other. And Jesus has met this woman who's come up at noontime to draw water. She didn't come up with the rest of the women who came up in the early day because this was in the hot heat and we'll see why in a minute. So he's talking to her and he's basically saying, I have water to drink of that if you ask of me, I can give you water that will spring up in you as a fountain of living water and you'll never thirst again. And he answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Okay, keep going. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So her response is, said to him, Lord, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. Jesus said, now he's going to, He's taking this to another level. Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, this is what we tend to do, I have no husband. So she's, what she's telling him is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because she's embarrassed. You never have to be embarrassed before God. And Jesus answered and said to her, you have well said I have no husband. For you got five husbands, had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. How did he know that? Had the disciples gone? Well, they hadn't. They didn't come back yet. Had he heard the rumors about this lady? He knew this by the Spirit. And what was the, what was the reaction? The woman said, Sir, there's something different about you. I perceive you're a prophet. And that began to open up a discussion which he eventually led her to him. And then eventually she went down into the town and brought everybody up. And he went down in that town and spent several days down there having meetings down there and preaching the gospel. It started because there was a word that came from him that knew something supernaturally about her. Not to embarrass her, but to prove to her these two things, that God's here with you. This is God talking to you. And the second thing, her life was a disaster. She's got five failed marriages, so much that she's given up on marriage. She's just living with some guy. She's obviously an outcast from the town. That's why she has to come up here alone. And God came to her and showed her, I'm here, I know everything about you, and I want to give you living water. The gift of the word of knowledge. Let's go on to what's gotten some people in trouble, discerning of spirits. It's a gift. It's a supernatural gift. It's not given for the purpose of judging people. Oh, that person has a spirit of gossip. That's what you're doing, so you must have the same thing. This is a supernatural discernment 
into spiritual activity that you cannot normally see with your human eyes. Sometimes it may be a physical, physical vision where you actually see a spirit. Sometimes it's a sense of a spirit to discern what it is. And there's situations where you notice there's sometimes Jesus, cat, when somebody was sick, cast the demon out, and sometimes he laid hands on them. Sometimes he spit on the ground and put that on their eyes. How did he know to do that? He was led by the Spirit of God, showed him to do different things. So let's look at a couple of examples of these. Acts chapter 16. This is a great example. Now, Paul is now on his second missionary journey. He's come in what we call Greece now to the city of Philippi. And he's, he's preaching there, and this woman is following him around, and we'll look at the story. Now, it happened as they went to prayer, a certain slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination. Divination is foretelling the future. So just because... Oh. Just because somebody tells you something about you that they could not have known naturally does not mean it's God. When we were going to Bible school, we lived in a community where there were four of us that, that, that uh, carpooled to, to campus. And there, were, there was Anita and I, there was a, another woman, and then there was a young man who was in one of my classes. And he, he at one point started telling this other woman, and I think my wife, things about them that he would never have known. There's no way he knew that. But something in me was troubled. It didn't sit right with me. I I was just troubled by that, and I began to pray and ask God, what about it? And I began to discover there are things called familiar spirits. And those are spirits that are familiar. You understand the demons have been around forever. They know your history. Especially if you talk a lot, they they hear what you say. (laughs) So for them to tell something to you that happened before or somebody else, it's something they already knew. But that's not the Spirit of God. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. Spirit of divination met us and brought her master's great prophet because she would foretell the future and people would pay for that. People still do that, don't they? And the girl, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, look what, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, that sure sounds like it must be God. This girl's going around and declaring, these men have come from God and they're declaring the way of, word of salvation. But something didn't sit right with Paul. See, the devil would love to take credit for your prospering. For your, for, for, he'd love to take credit at church. I've seen this happen here, where Satan tries to work in into positions of authority and positions of, of, of power and tries to work. So although it's doing the work of God, the spirit that's behind it isn't the spirit of God. And that's what was happening here. She did this for many days, but Paul, annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So Paul discerned by the spirit that this was not a woman who was there to promote their ministry. But there was a spirit operating through here and he actually knew what it was. It was a spirit of divination. Acts, Second uh, Kings chapter 6, I referred to this before. Here's a situation where, where, where the prophet and his servant are in the city Dothan and they wake up one day and, and they're surrounded. The, the Assyrian king has found out where the, 
where the, where the information is coming from to, to defeat him. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose there early in the morning and he went out, he went out and he was shocked because there's an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. So he comes out one morning, like any other morning, and now they're surrounded with the Assyrian army. And so his response says, Alas, my master, I bet it was a little more emotional than that. What shall we do? And look at the prophet's answer. Don't be afraid. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I'm sure the prophet was tempted, the, the servant was tempted to go out. 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, there are 100,000 troops out here and, you, and there's one, two. How did you do in math class? Because this doesn't add up. Because he was looking in the natural. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. How many things do we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes to see what's really going on in that situation that you're dealing with? It may be a child in your family. It may be a, a, a relational issue. It may be finances. To ask the Lord to give you discernment, to open your eyes to see what's really going on here, what's spiritually going on here. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. My question was, when did these horses and chariots get there? After his eyes were opened or before his eyes were opened. They were already there because Elisha knew they were there. And he prayed that this God would open the eyes of the servant, that he would see by the Spirit what was really going on. All right, we've got to move on. Working of miracles. Again, these are all supernatural. This is the power of God demonstrated in a specific situation in a moment that's beyond, our, beyond nature. Put the because the next verse is, is that. So the Syrians come out against him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord, says, "Strike this people, I pray, with blindness." And God struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. That's a powerful demonstration. So instead of the the servants, he just spoke the word, and they were blinded and confused. Most of Jesus' miracles were working of miracles, this gift. Remember when Peter gets anxious, when are we going to be able to pay the temple tax? And Jesus said, okay, just go throw a hook into the sea. And then the first fish you bring in, see what's in his mouth, and there was a gold coin to pay the temple tax. When we first met them, they're fishing. And they come back in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus says, can I use your boat to preach? He uses his boat to preach. And he says, well, go, go out and, and cast down your nets for a catch of fish. And Peter says, I know, you, I know you're a good preacher, but we're fishermen. And we just came back from fishing all night, and we didn't catch anything, but nevertheless at your word. Went out there and came back with such a haul of fish that the other fishermen had to come and haul it in. And that happened more than once. Almost all of Jesus' miracles were operating of this operations of this gift of miracles, working of miracles. 
the gift of faith. It's a temporary endowment of faith. Faith comes, the Bible says, by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God deposits in you when you're saved a measure of faith, and then we're responsible for developing it. And you develop it by meditating on the Word, putting that Word down inside you. Pastor Ray's done such a great job these last few Wednesday nights about the, the fruit of that Word that you put in there and the process of putting that Word in you and meditating on that Word and getting that Word in you. And then you've got to a- exercise that Word. And that's a development of your faith. But this is beyond this. This is like when faith just comes down out of heaven for, for a situation, a, 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 particular, a particular situation. Um, uh, Peter, there's an example in Acts chapter 3 where Peter's, uh, Peter and, and John are at the gate beautiful. We may look at this later on. And, and there's a man that's been lame his whole life and he asked them for, for an offering and Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. And he didn't stand back to see what happened. He reached down and grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. Before you go into the hospital trying to pull people off of beds, you better make sure it's the operation of God's gift of faith. When that happens, you know. You know. There's no question. I remember in the church we had before, there was a Sunday evening service, and, and um, I was teaching on how, on, on, on how God will provide your needs. But you've got to put your finances in His hands and recognize your stewards of His finances. You don't own anything. And I was teaching about that. I said, God wants to do some dramatic things in your life. And all of a sudden, the words that came out of me, because there, there was present with us a friend of mine who was an evangelist who had a tent. And I know he had bought this tent and he owed money on the tent. I had no idea how much. Remember that? And I just said, and, 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 and God is going to use this church in 30 days we're going to pay off that tent. I knew that beyond a question of a doubt. When the service was over and I went back in, this, in my office, I said, what in the world did I just say? I have no idea how much that is and I'm now out there publicly. We're going to do that. That was not my faith, believe me. Well, when 30 days came, I don't have time to tell you the story. 30 days came. God had used this church to pay off His... People found money. And they used it. People were given raises. Amazing supernatural things began to happen. And God was demonstrating to them, I can take care of you. I can meet your need. And I want to flow through you. But that happened because of that gift of faith. I was panicked after that. What in the world did you get me into? Then there's a gift of healing. Every believer has the right to pray for the sick. Um, Mark chapter 16 or 15. Uh, um, um, James talks about it. That's one of the things as a believer, you have the right to pray for the sick. But this is a supernatural healing, a gift that God gives to certain people. Oral Roberts is a great example of that. He, he, he knew how to pray the prayer of faith, but he saw miracles happen. He had, a, he had an anointing, a special anointing to pray for the sick. So we've got to move on. Okay, the, again, these are supernatural. All right, the gifts of utterances. And this is where there's so much confusion. Oh, one of the things I want to comment. There are other teachings on what these gifts are. And, and, and I'm not being dogmatic that what I'm teaching you is right. What I'm teaching you is what I was taught, what men and women that I respect highly, I've seen operate in these gifts with tremendous results, what they understood these gifts were, and I've seen them work in my life. So there are teachings out there that say these are not supernatural, they're just human endowments. I don't believe that's scripturally supportable. 
but just so you may read something else and well pastor I read that well that's and you may again I think that's God's design that he's given us so little guidance okay there's there's three of these gifts that are listed these gifts these three gifts either together or separately amount to prophecy the spirit of God is speaking or a word or a short message to express God's care or involvement is distinct from the office of a prophet. Just because you prophesy does not mean you're a prophet. To be a prophet is an, is, a, is an office that's set in the church. And almost always it's a mature person. Usually they've already been in some other office of ministry. Because to be in, uh, in the office of a prophet, you are literally speaking God's heart to people. And you better be right. In the Old Testament, if you prophesied and you were wrong, they stoned you to death. So there was not a lot of people just stepping out and trying it. We had Mary M. Brown here for a number of years, and she was a prophetess. And the, didn't she always didn't, say, didn't always say, "Thus says the Lord." Her messages were from God's heart, and it brought a sharp sword sometimes to cut us. Pastor Sam was not a prophet, but he had a prophetic edge to him. And when he said something to you, there was an authority behind that came right from God. So this is the, they don't always, don't, fit in, in, don't always fit in nice, neat boxes, which makes it frustrating for me because I like nice, neat boxes. Okay. So there's three of these, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We're going to see the tongues and interpretation of tongues together amount to prophecy. So let's talk about these quickly. Prophecy. It's a spirit-inspired spirit or God-breed word always to encourage or aid somebody. It often starts with a sense of something in your spirit, a word, and then when you begin to step out, uh, Gloria um, Smith, whom we'll, we'll celebrate on Saturday, she would, would sometimes come up to me and said, I have this word, I believe, from God, and she would give me the first few words. And many times I would say, oh, that sounds right. And she would come up and there were always words of encouragement or just calling your attention to something. And then while I was up here, very often it would stir something up in me and there would be some follow-up to that. I know what the time is. Yes, thank you. That's not a supernatural gift. <laughs> but it's important. All right. So, 1 Corinthians 14.3. This is so important to understand. He who prophesies speaks edification, that means building up. Exhortation, that means encouraging or comfort to men. So the purpose of New Testament prophecy is to do one or more of those three things. It's not to tell your future. I've been in services where people who claimed that they had this gift were selling, and God's told me that you're called to do this, you're called to do that. If that happens put it on a shelf, and if it ever comes to pass, then we'll celebrate what they did. But if a word somebody gives you does not automatically resonate with something that's in your heart already, throw it out. Even if it's me. Because we can all miss it. So the purpose is to edify, build up, encourage. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Oh, i got to close quickly. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem before he's arrested. And wherever he goes, well, I can just summarize this. Wherever he goes, there are words of prophecy given to him about what awaits him. 
So I saw you said for, it was not foretelling. It was not for the purpose of foretelling something. Paul already knew what was going to happen. It was to encourage him. It was to encourage him because he was about to go through a very difficult time to encourage him because Jesus had already told him, you're going to go before Caesar. So he knew this was going to happen. But when you, how many of you have ever had a situation where you knew God told you something, but you need reassurance that this is really God has spoken to me? I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Um, Back in 1998, Pastor Sam had asked me, because he was retiring, he'd asked me to come on staff because he'd chosen Pastor David, his associate, to, to succeed him. And he had no experience as a lead pastor, and I did. So Pastor Sam asked me to come and become his associate pastor. And I'd been in the ministry before, and, 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 and I had come out for nine years and was back practicing law. And I just told Pastor Sam, I, I, want to, I, I don't want to change again. If I make this change, I want to know this is God. Can I take a month and pray about this to make sure? He said, certainly. So I'm at the end of this. I'm pretty well settled that this is obviously God. And Lafayette scale comes, Scales comes here. He's just started coming. And I was sitting in the chair right behind where Gary Johnson is sitting right now. I'll never forget it. I'm sitting there. Lafayette doesn't know me from Adam. And I'm sitting there, and he starts prophesying over this church. And he'd never done that before, and has only done it once or twice since then. And I'm sitting there starting to have this conversation with God. God, I've, I've, I'm about to leave a very secure job as a lawyer, and I'm about to step out, and Pastor Sam's done a great job here, but he's turning this over to a man that's never done this before. I need to know that if I make this decision, that this is you. If it's you, I don't care. I'll trust it. It'll be work out right. But I need to know this is you. And, and this man's prophesying now, and I'm, this is all going on inside of me. And I've been hurt by prophecy before, and so I already have trouble trusting prophecy. I need to know that this, and I'm kidding you not, this is literally what happened. I need to know, I need to know that this is really God prophesying over this church. And Lafayette was standing here, we had a little runner here, and he, started, he looked over and pointed at me. And I'm starting to sweat now. I mean, this is immediately. He said, there is an opportunity that's opening up for you. He knew nothing about it. There's an opportunity that's opening up for you. And you need to decide whether you're going to take it or not. And then he said, and you've been in ministry before. I'm shaking now. And he said, and you've gone through some difficult times, which is right. He says, and, and it, but if you'll go through this door, you're going to find yourself in a place that you've never been in before. And he, I don't remember the rest of it. I'm sitting there shaking. I mean, it literally was that fast. God, that you need to show me this man's hearing from you. And he read my mail. When it was done, Pastor David ran over to me. He said, John, he knew nothing. So that's an example. I needed encouragement. He was not foretelling because he didn't give me any details. And I'm still wondering about some of what he said. But, but I needed to know something. God knew my heart and he knew why I needed to know something, and he used prophecy to encourage me, to comfort me, because it was a hard decision with my family. I had four kids. I've got to move on. Okay. So, you've got to go into tongues. I mean, I'm not going to speak them, but... Tongues are where God, the Spirit of God empowers your spirit to speak a message in a language that's unknown to you. 
when we were in Bible school, one of her friends, uh, her husband was a linguist. He spoke 34 languages. And when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I asked his wife, can you find out if he spoke something he never heard before? She said, yeah, he did. It's a language you don't know. Now understand this, this is where there's confusion. There's a purpose for tongues in a church service. And then there's tongues for your private devotional life, which is the primary use of it that I found. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we experienced it, we talked about this before. When they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them, as the Spirit gave them, as the Spirit gave them utterance. In this case, they spilled out into the street and their, their tongues were a sign because they were speaking in a real language, but they didn't know it. And it was a sign to the unbelievers who began to, how do these men know my language? I've come from Carthage. Carthage. I've come from these places and they're speaking and they're not educated. That was a sign that God used for that. But Paul talks about, we don't have time to get into it, he said, I pray in tongues more than you all. I sing in tongues, I pray in tongues, I pray with my spirit, I sing with my spirit. So, 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, but a bit, a bit, a bit, 1 Corinthians 14.2. Here's the key to this. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. This is referring to a private prayer language. Did you ever get your mind in a way when you're trying to pray? You're trying to pray about a situation. Your mind goes here, and it goes here, it goes here, and it goes here, it goes here. You know, all of a sudden, your mind's so sharp. I used to discipline myself to get up at 5 in the morning to pray, and my mind would tell myself, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to function very well. Until I sat down to pray, suddenly my mind was going through the day I had to do. became suddenly very alert. Why? Because he didn't want to pray. But tongues is a private prayer language. It's your spirit is talking directly. God is a spirit to God. Spirit to spirit. And that's supernatural. Verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. There are many times when I'm praying, I need my mind to be unfruitful because it's given me all kinds of trouble. Am I the only person that your mind gives trouble? So there are many situations where you pray in the Spirit and you're communing directly with God. You're communicating directly with God. So that's one of the purposes for it in your private life. It bypasses your mind and it's a direct communication with God. It's an amazing blessing. God would give us this line of communication directly to Him. And then Romans 8, 28 or 26 says that the Spirit of God then takes our prayers and He he converts them into the will of God. I don't have time to get into that. Jude chapter 20, or Jude verse 20. My You beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So one of the purposes of praying in the Spirit is it builds you up, it strengthens you. It builds you, it builds your spirit up. It, it's like inflating something with inside of you, except it's not hot air. And it makes you more sensitive to the spirit. The reason I can sense, like I did last week, I guess it was, there was something to do, is because I'm becoming sensitive to what that's like, because I spend a lot of time, I, I, I find myself praying in the spirit, and I'm not even conscious I'm doing it. 
just going about the day. I just find myself by praying in the Spirit. And then yesterday I had a breakthrough. I know. I had a breakthrough in my prayer life. And I said, God, wow, this is so amazing. He said, but you've been praying this for the last several months while you were praying in the Spirit. Now see, my mind doesn't understand that. And that's why God just kind of smiles at me. John, you love to understand everything. And I have ways of communicating with you that your mind has no idea what you're doing. This is why when I started praying in the Spirit the first time, my mind would go f- get frantic because it, it's being left out of the conversation. And your mind's nosy. It wants to be in control. At least mine does. Okay. Public use of tongues. That's what Paul's addressing primarily in chapter 14. Let's go start in verse 1. We'll, just, we'll go through this quickly. Pursue love desire spiritual gifts. So we're to desire these, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. They're not mysteries to God, they're mysteries to our minds. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. He's talking about in a church service. But he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. I'm going to summarize what he's going to say here. He's saying, if you're going to do this in a church service, then a message in tongues has to be interpreted or it does nobody any good. He says, it's like, you know, musical instruments. If, if they're off tune, it's horrible sound. It doesn't do any good unless they're all tuned to the right note. Then you can understand them. So the purpose of these gifts is to bring comfort, edification, and, and, and edification, and comfort, and encouragement to the church body when they're exercised in the context of a church service. Go to verse 13. Therefore, let he who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion? I'll pray with my spirit. I will pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. There's a singing in the spirit, which I don't have time to get into today. Okay. Paul's final... Let's go to verse 26. These are his concluding remarks. Well, I'm going to summarize them. Paul leaves from final instructions to them. First of all, he says, everything must be done to edify the church. If it's not edifying the church, then it's not the operation of the gift of the Spirit. He put a limit on the number. He dealt with order in the church. He said, God does everything decently and in order. So there should be order in the church. So when people, because these were serving people standing up and prophesying, oh, thus says the Lord. And said, yeah, but thus says the Lord. But thus says the Lord. And, the, and there was confusion in the church. And God, Paul says, God's not the author of confusion. Because confusion, nobody gets anything out of it. So he said, they really ought to limit it to one or two, maybe three. And if it's in tongues, there has to be an interpretation. But let it be done decently and in order. And then he says a very significant thing. He says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. 
Because I, I, I've been in services where somebody was just out of control, just prophesying or praying. Out of and one that came to the pastor went over and says, no, dear, 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 be quiet. No, dear, be quiet. This is not God. The Spirit of God is sub- subject to the prophet. You can control it. You can control with you. There have been many times I've sensed the message. In fact, it was a few weeks ago. Was a was, was a Wednesday night. No, was, I can remember. It uh, I was a message I sent. It was a word. It was coming out of the worship, and and I but I waited to see. Am I supposed to do this? And 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 D two L was worshiping. And it was Kendra who was here today. Did a great job. And, and all of a sudden, she said word for word what I was going to say. It was much better for her to say that than for the pastor to get up and say that. So although I had the sense of it, I could control it to be sure what am I supposed to do with that. Because there are times you'll just tense something because you're sensitive to the Spirit. I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, the thing you preached on today, that's exactly what God's been dealing with me. Yes, because the same Spirit lives in you, lives in me. That shouldn't be a shock. So just because you're sensing something doesn't mean you're supposed to do with it something with it in a church service. It may just be a confirmation. You're hearing the same thing. You're hearing the same thing. And then Paul ends by saying all things, all things should be done decently in order. So what, what does all this amount to? Three points I want to end with. We are to desire these gifts. They've not passed away. The supernatural is supposed to be in the church and supposed to be in our lives. And these are part of that. Second thing we've learned is the motivation for operating them must always be the showing and demonstrating of God's love for others building up and strengthening others. And in the church, there should always be order and not confusion. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what to do with all this. I believe I've been obedient to you, and now I have to put it into your hands. We want, as a body of believers here, we want to do your will. We want to allow and see the Spirit of God move here in our midst, but even more so move in our own individual lives. So we make ourselves available to you. We acknowledge that we really don't know, and so our eyes are on you to lead us and to guide us, to open our hearts and to be willing and to trust ourselves to you. I pray, Father, that you would touch every heart this morning, that, that has, has your spirit alive in them and creating them a desire to see the supernatural, not just in their own lives, but through their lives. Give them wisdom in the application of it. And, Father, we just trust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before